On this week's episode of Let's Talk About It, we're going to talk about the relationship between Black people and Black public figures. It's a complicated relationship, so we're going to explore the many layers. Then we're going to continue by exploring Black deconstruction. There's a uniqueness about it that we want to explore today. You came. You're here. Now let's talk about it. Well, hello there. Yo. What show is this? It's Let's Talk About It. This is Malcolm Morgan. I was going to say something outlandish. You took it away from me. This is Micah. (laughs) Thank you for joining us today. (laughs) My love, how are you doing today? Oh, you know, just dragging myself through life one step at a time. Wow. that's (laughs) Well, I need you to gird your loins. (laughs) This podcast is going to take everything you got. Oh, yikes. How are you doing then? We're doing all right. Yeah. I'm excited about this episode. It's I can tell. Guys, I'm sorry. This is the season finale. The season finale. Things season are three. Yes. We'll be back soon, but this is the finale for this season, and we are going out with, with a bang. bang. It would seem. Yes. <laughs> so what are we talking about today? Oh, very light stuff. Very light stuff. Um We're going to try to tackle the complicated relationship that black folks have with their public figures. Mm. Now, um, if you, kind listener, are um, up to date on the news, it is currently November 2022 and uh, the year of our Lord. And (laughs) and there have been some interesting developments with a, um, a treasured musical. Uh, professional <laughs> I'm being mm-hmm. vague on purpose here uh, and so this you know recent development you know there's been anti-semitism involved there's been questions of mental health and what are the kind of boundaries between mental health and character involved and so naturally we the Morgans started kind of thinking out loud about huh why why are our folks responding the way that we are. So that is, that's what we're going to try to answer today. And this is a very nuanced conversation. Mm-hmm. We're tackling this from our perspective. Um, so we're allowing you in on a, on a conversation that we would probably just have and keep to ourselves, but we decided to record <laughs> it today. We did. So that you guys could be a part of it. So the relationship between black people and our public figures, first of all, um, the black community definitely identifies with public figures in a different way, mm-hmm. I think, than other um, other groups. Yeah, um, and I think it starts with from very early on. I think we're used to having public figures who speak for us, who mm-hmm. take on black causes, who say the things that need to be said. Um, whether you talk about the Harry Belafonte's of the world, the um, Bill Russells of the world, uh, Reverend Jesse Jackson, others. Um, for a long time, they were the mouthpiece for social issues. So mm-hmm. the first time a lot of um, white people or 
white audiences got to hear these issues firsthand was from these public figures that had a platform. Um, so I think it starts there is that that is kind of the precedent that was set for our public figures. And as you say that, I, I, I wrestle with whether we set that for ourselves mm. or whether whiteness set it for us. Mm. Um, and I say this gently, um, but I, th- I think whiteness requires of the other. So any other black mm-hmm. people, people of color requires excellence out of us mm. um, before we're given any value or dignity. Yeah. And so I think a lot of a lot of the the pressure that our, our public figures have felt in America, like th- throughout the whole history of America mm-hmm. um, is rooted in that is yeah. rooted in this pressure to be excellent in order to kind of win some value and some dignity from the social construct of whiteness. Yeah. Um, and so for me, I try to hold that. I try to hold that intention with whatever disappointment I feel. Right. When mm-hmm. I see a public figure that has some kind of lapse in character. Right. Mm-hmm. I, I'm trying to hold the history intention with that. Like I know that for you, public figure to have gotten to where you are, you are carrying with you that pressure yeah. that the black public figures have had to bear yeah. all the way through. Yeah. I think that's, I mean, that's another layer to this as well is that as black people in America, we understand what it, how hard it is to be just a regular black person. Mm-hmm. Um, but then for you to get to the top of your field at something, mm-hmm. we hold those people in especially high esteem because who, who knows the horrors that you have seen <laughs> right? <laughs> trying to ascend and, you know, uh, you know, presumably pass over white people on the way up. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. What doors did you have to kick down to get to that place? Yeah, we know um, it cost a lot. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, we, we recently started watching. We started and have not finished. It's, it's going to be a slow burn. Oof. Yeah, we need to talk about Bill Cosby documentary. Um, and even though I felt like I knew a lot about him and his story, there was just a lot of stuff that I didn't know. Barriers that he had broken, doors that he has opened, which made his fall so much harder for us to deal with that part. Yeah. Yeah. And I I think the, again, trying to hold that complexity is, is hard, right? Mm -hmm. Because when you find out that, um, you know, and I want to pause here. um, If you're listening to this and you have a a sexual abuse history, you know, um, I want to invite you to, to ground yourself, you know, use your coping skills right now, or if you have to, Fast forward and come back to this. That's perfectly fine. Mm-hmm. Um, but we're going to be talking about um, some things that um, can be associated with and, and bring up some triggers of sexual abuse. Um, but as I think about Bill Cosby in particular and try to hold intention, the barriers that he broke down and, you know, the the ways that he trailblazed. Yeah. It's like, bruh, but the violence that he inflicted on women, mm-hmm. you know, is it's just so hard to reconcile. Um, And that's why I think that, you know, docu-series is so important because yeah, we had a bunch of other documentaries about what he did and and the, the the outcomes of that, but Mm -hmm. to wrestle with the actual question of like, how, what, what do we do with this? Mm -hmm. What do we do with both sides of Bill Cosby? It's a hard question to answer. Yeah. Yeah. I think another, another layer to this is the fact that, 
black public figures and celebrities have the responsibility of kind of representing us all. Mm. Um, they're asked to speak on, on every black issue, speak for every black person, every community. Yeah. Um, and I think we have internalized that as a community as well as that we expect you to speak from our perspective mm. um, and with our best interest at heart. Oof. I remember, um, I remember learning a, a little bit about um, Michael Jordan and, and you know, his, mm-hmm. um, what I'm guessing, correct me if I'm wrong, is an intentional um, absence from kind of that public mm-hmm. speaking um, part of the job. Right. Mm-hmm. And I remember when I first heard it, I felt a little betrayed. I was like, huh, mm-hmm. you know, you've got, you've got all this power, you've got all this influence. Mm-hmm. And it's not just that like, maybe you're too busy and you're, you just don't have time to speak on these issues, but I'm hearing that you're actively choosing not to yeah. mark. Yeah. Um, so I remember that hitting me kind of hard and, and it's because of what you just said, right. That I think I've, I've internalized this expectation that when, when our people do get a lot of power and influence, that mm-hmm. it's just a given, yeah. right. That they're going to speak on be- on behalf of our people's interests. Yeah. But then I also was kind of thinking like, okay, you know, he is his own person, yeah. right? And I know there's a lot, there's a subset of commentary about racial injustice in America where we are wrestling with the injustice of us having to bear the weight of our whole people rather yeah. than just being an individual. Mm-hmm. And so then when I think about that, I'm like, all right, well, maybe we should give him, you know, room to be his own person mm-hmm. and to, and to tap out of that. Um, but I think we could, I think we can also feel the betrayal at the same time. Yeah. Um, but also accept that he does get to make that choice. Yeah. Yeah. That, yeah, that, that betrayal, I think no matter if you, even if you agree, I think there's that first knee jerk reaction of, whoa. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's also the realization of, and the question of could, could he have attained what he has attained and been as socially active as maybe we would have wanted him to be? Mm, that's a good question. Does that put a cap and a ceiling on where you can go and and how successful you can be? And is that a better outcome? Mm-hmm. Which, of course, brings into my mind, I'm going to mispronounce Kaepernick. Kaepernick. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, y'all, I've been mispronouncing his name for way too long. <laughs> um but the the sacrifice, right, that mm-hmm. he paid to be outspoken, yeah, I think answers your question, right? Like, yeah. could could someone like Michael Jordan have gotten to the point where he got to without, yeah, or or while participating in you know the 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 public arena in terms of justice? And I think the answer is no. Like we saw that with Kaepernick, mm-hmm. and you know, I I really respect him for kind of the graciousness he's had with having to give up you know, a, a huge part of his career and the success that he might have had. But mm-hmm. man, to watch so much being taken away from him yeah. because he chose to spoke out to, to speak out is just like, wow, that's that's a picture of what it's like to be a black public figure. Yeah. I think there was a there was kind of a pivotal moment. I wish I could like give you the exact year, but Issa Rega is going to this award show and they're mm. asking her, like, <laughs> what are you like who are you rooting for? And she says, "I root for everybody black." Straight and I think face. 
And you know that was like it's it's a it was a funny thing, but then it kind of became a real. I mean, Wale did a song about it, mm-hmm. um, and it it kind of I don't want to say restarted because I don't want to like overstate how important it was, but it was kind of like a, a watershed moment, mm-hmm. particularly in that segment of Hollywood talking about movies and, and television, mm-hmm. where we're just like, yeah, we're rooting for everybody black. But this also like comes up in some really weird ways. So like I remember growing up watching the Olympics with my with my family. And, you know, it'll just be a we'll, we'll just say it's a heat in the Olympics for the four for the for the 200 meters. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you know, you look at the countries to see who's running, if you recognize any of the names. And if you don't really, you'll like move on, go do something else. I distinctly remember my mom saying one time after it was over the it was I think there was a, it was a Kenyan or a Nigerian in the race. And my mom was disappointed because they didn't win. She says, we have to win these. Mm. And I'm like looking at my mom like. Okay, did, did I miss something? Are we Kenyan or Nigerian now? <laughs> like, I didn't know. Like what? It's a huge the, part of your family tree that was right. overlooked. Let me get the uh, let me get the DNA facts. I had no idea. <laughs> but that's like the level to which, like, even in the in the old days, people would root for boxers or wrestlers, mm-hmm. especially if it's black guy versus white guy. Like Mike Tyson fights when it was Mike Tyson versus a white guy is a different, it's a different <laughs> level oh, yeah. of excitement and energy behind uh-huh. your rooting for like, even more recently, the, um, the Tyson Fury, Deontay Wilder fight, which is probably go over your head to explain this. Mike. Absolutely. But it was a white British fighter, um, uh, going against a black, American fighter Deontay Wilder who's from Alabama mm-hmm. um, in in boxing there's multiple divisions of the belt I guess it's hard is the best way to describe it so there's heavyweight uh-huh. belts oh okay yeah WBC WO I think there's one more Wilder had two of those belts and I think uh, Fury had one of those belts and you know you looked at the fight and it seemed to be pretty evenly divided between race Say, similar thing happened maybe uh, a better reference would be the Mayweather um, mm. McGregor fight, mm-hmm. where that there were some very strong racial lines <laughs> in that. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, so it's it, we we kind of internalize that. You know, I'm rooting for everybody who's black in a lot of different ways <laughs> because we, ha- <laughs> we right. have to right. right right like I think the the um, the wittiness of Issa's comment and and you know the the kind of boldness of it has some humor to it but it's like the reality behind it is oppression has been real mm-hmm. in in western culture like the oppression of black people has been real and so for her to have so boldly said that say that so boldly said that mm-hmm. <laughs> um it was like yeah we, I am root for everybody black, yeah. right? Like we, I think we've all discreetly been kind of doing it. Well, many of us have been discreetly doing it, but for mm-hmm. her to say it out loud was like, that felt good. Yeah. And I think, you know, with that, it's hard, you know, once we start kind of rooting for everybody who black, it's hard then to separate the status and accomplishment accomplishments from any negative yeah. um, action or attention that these people may do or attract mm-hmm. um, and you, you know the, the obvious examples of that are bill cosby and r kelly yeah where you know we used to going to cookouts and doing the step in the name of love and l- watching um slow uh, not, i almost said slow jam slow jam. So watching space jam <laughs> and hearing i believe i could fly and singing it and just and now it's like all of that is the cosby show is just tainted mm-hmm. but for some people it's hard to separate 
I mean, for a lot of people, it's hard to separate that way. And they talked about that in the documentary. Or they mm-hmm. were starting to talk about that in the documentary. Mm-hmm. It's it's rough, right? And it's like, what? I guess a question that comes up for me is is what is what is our responsibility as um as black consumers mm. of whatever you know product our public figures are are giving out or or whatnot. Yeah. Um, you know, is it to just blindly support them no matter what? Mm-hmm. Or is there is there a responsibility that we have to kind of hold them accountable and kind of say, like, look, you you know, you can't just bank on our endless support no matter what decisions you make and what harm you cause. Um, for me, I'm kind of leaning toward the the latter because it's like I, I know how much it well, I have an idea of how much it costs for black public figures to get to where they are. And in my mind, in an ideal world, they have the character that, that matches up with it. And mm-hmm. I, I want to be a part of calling them into that, calling them into having that kind mm-hmm. of character. Yeah. Yeah, it's, and it's tough to, to, hold, to hold these black public figures for us, for our community, to hold them accountable, I think. Um, we begin to feel very possessive and protective of, yeah. of these black celebrities and public figures. Um, and any outside criticism is seen as, a, as an attack particularly when it's from another racial group. Yeah. Um, it, I mean, I remember watching um, the documentary about the OJ trial mm-hmm. and hearing one of the black jurors say, essentially, I'm paraphrasing, but essentially say, yeah, he probably did it, but I do also feel like they were setting him up. Mm. And then I, I, I know that the LAPD is racist, so. So we're about to take this win. Right. Mm. And that's what it was like it became even though OJ his whole life had told us he's not black he's OJ had made intentional decisions Mm -hmm. to take step back take steps back and separate himself from the black community Mm -hmm. in that moment when he was on trial facing you know the white man's justice. Yikes. We celebrated like OJ lived with us and that he supported us Ooh. and that he spoke out for us and that he did all these things for us. We we acted like it was Martin Luther King on trial. Oh, and we were like, yeah. yeah, we did it. Like, ooh. <laughs> oh, gosh. Man, that's so complicated, right? Because even as you say that, I feel my body reacting mm-hmm. to how it feels for how it feels for our black public figures to be to be oh, I don't want to say it I feel myself reacting to seeing black public figures under the scrutiny of white people yeah because it always feels more harsh it always feels yeah. more more rigid yeah. and less gracious and less compassionate and I, I I just see the grace that that white public figures are given and it's like yo if 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 there's going to be any holding accountable, I would just rather it be by our own people. Yeah, like it, it. I do. I feel myself reacting to that. Yeah, I think what had really brought this to light or brought this more to the forefront for me was kind of hearing the discourse around the Kyrie Irving situation. Mm-hmm. You know, Kyrie Irving retweeted this movie um, that had some anti-Semitic um, ideas, ideology in it, mm-hmm. and I kept. I just kept seeing people respond to this and not denouncing the hate mm-hmm. that was clearly being promoted 
But then I, I want to give credit to Nick Cannon, who I actually saw say this in an interview, although it's not I know it's not an original idea from here. So I'm mm-hmm. not going to be like, oh, he's the orchestrator of this. <laughs> but this idea of of um, white slave masters taking the biggest and blackest slave, biggest or strongest slave and beating them in public and, and breaking them in public to make mm-hmm. an example out of him for the whole plantation to see, mm-hmm. to keep everybody else in line. Um, and that I hadn't fully, I'm, like, I'm aware of that. Yeah. Like I'm aware of that in, in our history, but I hadn't thought about that in the, in the context of this and why. And I think it put really, it put some good language to what we as black people see when black people are held accountable in a certain way mm. and with a certain severity. Right. Right. And that causes a reaction from us. Like we immediately go into, I mean, whether it's OJ, whether it's Kyrie, whether it's even Bill Cosby got to a point where people are like, well, come, like, are we, we yeah. really take everything away from it. So it's like, we get to a certain point, like we can, we can accept some consequences, but at mm-hmm. a certain point, if it becomes what we deem as excessive, or it seems like y'all are trying to like make a spectacle out of this, that can really cause a backlash and a reaction that I think defies, I don't know if logic is the right word, but mm-hmm. defies the evidence that's, that's in front of us. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, it even happened with Will Smith, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. With the slap heard around the world. Yeah. You know, I think what I saw on Twitter was there was this visceral reaction that a lot of our community had toward, you know, white people commenting on what he did. Yeah. Um, Because what a lot of us were trying to to convey was that it's a it's a little bit more complicated than, oh, Will Smith was just being immature and and, and like it was a little bit more than that. Like, you you know, Will Smith was reacting to his black wife being Mm -hmm. publicly embarrassed and in a room full of white people being laughed at. Mm Like, that was a huge mm-hmm. emotional moment for him. And yeah. so it wasn't, you know, this idea of just him swallowing all of that and remaining composed perfectly. It's just not reasonable, and right? I think the, the other layer to that, which I don't want to get too far from our topic, is that people have been laughing at Will Smith for the last couple of years. Yeah. Whether it's the Red Table Talk, where him and his wife talked about her infidelity, mm-hmm. and, the, and that type of thing kind of became a running joke for for <laughs> a long time. Yeah. So I think that's that played it into it as well. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, as as much as as open as a black community can be, we love our jokes. Yeah, and yeah. I, 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 it's hard for me to believe that Will Smith did see some of that. Yeah, and you know, sitting there hearing somebody make jokes about his wife in that moment. Took him over the edge. Took him way over the edge. Yeah. So there there were so many layers happening in that moment, mm-hmm. right? But so so many, you know, uh, white people would just kind of flattened it to just, mm-hmm. he was being violent. And it's like, oh, okay. But there's more to it than that, right? Yeah. But I think when we look at the comment that, that you just made from, from what Nick Cannon brought up, it, it really, it brings home for me just how visceral and emotional seeing our black public figures kind of publicly flogged, right. Uh, mm-hmm. To be, to use metaphorical language, how that makes us feel. Yeah. Um, it feels like we're being flogged. It, right. Right. We identify with that. Right. And so we become, we, we become self-protective and project that onto um, the figure, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, but kind of like you said, it also gives us a kind of a myopia so that mm-hmm. we our vision is so narrow that we we also can't see yeah. the nuance in the gray. Mm-hmm. I can I can also like right now hear 
little whispers of people that are listening to this saying, but it's not, is it that big of a deal? This isn't your family member. This isn't, this isn't a, this is, this is, you know, make believe this isn't the real world. The public figures aren't, aren't mm. your whatever, whatever right. you want to put in here. But these, these symbols and these things matter. I mean, I remember when Black Panther came out and what that me- meant to our community. Yeah. The pride and joy that we felt. Even if you have never seen a Marvel movie, you went to go see Black Panther mm-hmm. because you're like, this is us. Mm-hmm. Like, these symbols, these things matter to us. Seeing Beyonce do the Super Bowl, seeing Beyonce do Coachella, seeing Barack Obama take the stage mm. as the as the first black president. These things can be minimized, but they still create. I mean, I, I, the the most recent example is the 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 trailer for the new live action Little Mermaid movie, oh, and watching man. videos of little kids seeing that and being like, "Oh my gosh, she's black!" Yeah, yeah. And like it's so easy to minimize that and just say, "Oh, it's just a movie; it doesn't mean anything." Mm-hmm. But these these moments, these figures, these people that that mean something for us. And it's not it's not just this like it's not just this made up meaning that that we've given it right. Mm-hmm. It's it's the psychology of representation that that all of us experience, right? Like mm-hmm. the the thing that that we maybe miss when we hear the the phrase representation matters kind of thrown around Mm -hmm. is that when we see ourselves held in high esteem, that has a visceral impact on us. It's not just this like made up, Oh, that kind of feels nice, but our, our psychology improves our, you know, our like, how much stress we feel being out in the public sphere that improves Mm -hmm. like, representation has a visceral impact on us. And so it's not just that we, oh, we like to see people that look like us, yeah. but we know it has a positive impact on our life outcomes yeah. when our children see people that look like us, when we see people that look like us. So um, it was amazing to see how people responded to that, how kids responded to yeah. that Little Mermaid trailer. Yeah. Cause it's like, this is, this is what we've been trying to say. Yeah. Like, <laughs> like, it's beautiful to see that. Yeah. 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 So as we kind of pivot um, away from this, I think thinking about how can we move forward, mm. how can we build a more healthy relationship with our black um, public yeah. figures? I think the first thing to acknowledge is that objectivity is hard. Mm. It's just hard. Um, it's. I wish it was just as easy as, hey, just don't identify with them so closely. I wish it could be that easy, but it's yeah. it's not. Um, but I think it's important that we acknowledge spaces where we can't necessarily be objective, where there's maybe, I mean, there's, there's people in all of our lives that we will give the benefit of the doubt of until the day we die, whether it's a mom, a a, a sibling, mm-hmm. a cousin, an uncle, a grandmother, whatever, mm-hmm. they're always going to get the benefit of the doubt. And you have to know where those blind spots are for you and be willing to acknowledge them, particularly in conversation when we're talking about some of the issue, these issues. I think what can be dangerous is when we we don't know that and we're talking to, you know, for example, we're talking about the Bill Cosby situation and people that have been sexually assaulted or sexually abused, mm. they hear that and they're like, so you just support this man no matter what? Mm. And so I think having that context may not fix it, it may not heal it, it may not make it all right, but I think it's important to be able to communicate that and say, you know what, but I I believe this, but at the same time, this is this is why it's hard for me to give to not give this person the benefit of the doubt. Mm. 
And I, I do hope more of us find language to say that, right? Because I think I think what's been happening is um, we've been using language like, ah, oh, but it's not that big of a deal, yeah. Or you know, yeah. but but that but that's R. Kelly though, right? Yeah. And it's like, no, there's <laughs> it's a little bit more going on than just you really like his music, right? Yeah. So I'm I'm hoping that unfortunately as this keeps happening that that we as a community develop more language for how to respond yeah um but i think a second thing invitation for just how to move forward is even though objectivity is hard i think it is important for us to have some sense of just like lines that shouldn't be crossed Mm -hmm. um because of course, you know, I'm I'm thinking about the Kyrie situation and the Kanye situation with this anti-Semitism, and it's like, okay, I, I hear what Nick Cannon is saying, right? That it's hard to see these black public figures, you know, so aggressively mm-hmm. um, criticized, but it's also like, bruh, like anti-Semitism, you just you just don't do like, it's not, there's no way to explain around yeah. that. Um, and so for me, I'm kind of like, I'm, I'm hoping that we continue to develop those kind of boundaries where we're willing to say, you know what, yes, I, I value what this black public figure gave to our community. I, you know, I, I enjoy their work. However, I, I cannot stand, mm-hmm. you know, with them beyond this line. Yeah. I, I think it's important for us to, to develop that. Yeah. I think to go along with the point that you just made, I think one of the struggles for for the black community in responding that way is that people don't respond that way for us. Yeah. People yeah. don't, um, That's we real. don't get the benefit of the doubt. We don't get a second chance. Mm-hmm. Um, so when it happens to other groups or to other people, I think that injustice stings more. And so mm. it kind of compounds when it comes back around the next black figure who I gets think that's an example of, of we're mm-hmm. like, no, like no, uh, and you you could try to like double down. They, it's like no, I'm I'm riding with this person. I don't even know who they are, and I'm riding with them. <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's real. Um, last thing I want to say is we do need to find a way to hold our black public figures accountable without tearing them down. Mm. Um, yeah, I think that's the hardest thing with some of these situations is that we are watching it, what it seems like. Uh, a deplatforming and a complete disenfranchisement of people. Mm. Um, and it shouldn't always have to be one way or the other, where we either say nothing or take away everything. Mm. <laughs> you know, I hear you. Yeah. Um, so it, it would be great to be able to hold people accountable. And there's, look, there's consequences for everything, everything that we do. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we have to be able be willing to accept that. Um, and be willing to move forward, but as but also be willing to give second chances where second chances are needed. Mm. Um, but also say, hey, you were just wrong. It's just sorry. Mm-hmm. I love you. I love the album. Love the movie. Love the way you dribble a basketball. <laughs> you know, but you were just wrong. Yeah, and you caused harm. Yeah, right. And I think the 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 ideal. The ideal situation is for us to be able to make decisions about who do we continue to platform Mm -hmm. based on knowing that there's a relatively low chance that they'll cause more harm. Right. But if you have a public figure that consistently Consistently, causes harm using their platform, 
then it's like, okay, you know, it could be that, that you, sir or ma'am, need to have less influence, a significant amount of less influence in order to be safe to the public. Yeah. Um, and so I think that's also a conversation worth having. Um, I haven't seen it get that nuanced, right, yeah. for people to be saying like, oh, he's canceled. He can't. He's canceled. But it's like, okay, but why? Mm-hmm. You know, is it just because you are disgusted by what, what he did or what she did, or is it because you want to minimize harm? Yeah. Um, and my hope is that we start leaning toward the latter. Yeah. I think we've, this is a very, this is a tough conversation to have. Cause it, yeah. even as, like you said, as we're having this conversation, I'm having reactions to the things I'm saying and be like, no, <laughs> support OJ. And you're like, mm, do we really support OJ? I'm not going to answer that question. <laughs> um, <laughs> So, yeah, we appreciate you guys listening, and this conversation is ongoing. We'd love to hear your thoughts. Absolutely. Um, maybe you're from a different ethnic group or different community, and you have a different relationship with celebrities. We'd love to hear about it. Mm-hmm. Um, so use the hashtag, hashtag TalkAboutItPOD, and drop us your thoughts on this conversation. Drop those thoughts. Speaking of dropping, no, that, that was just going to be the most awkward of pivots. Um, but we will pivot very hard right here. Um, to close out our season, we, we've been wanting to have a conversation about deconstruction, but mm-hmm. just have not figured out, like, okay, where do we put this? So we figured on the episode where we're going to have the toughest multi-layered conversation, let's just add another one. Absolutely. On yeah, so if you didn't gird your loins when Malcolm first invited you to do it. Um, Pick up that gird. And and and, lo- and loin them? No. No? No. Okay. It's okay. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, black deconstruction. Is it a thing? And if it is a thing, what's unique about it? What makes it a thing? Mm-hmm. Right. So, for me, where I think this conversation needs to start, and, and I want to start here with kind of a disclaimer, is... I want to honor the the white evangelical discon- deconstruction movement uh, that's been going on. Um, you know, when I first kind of caught wind of it, it was maybe like f- maybe like five or six years ago on Twitter. Um, and with me having grown up in in the black church, I I didn't fully understand like what was happening, but mm-hmm. there was this there was this movement of you know white evangelical, mostly millennial, mostly Gen Xers. Um, folks commenting on leaving the white evangelical church Mm -hmm. and and for for many of them they cited things like you know having recently discovered the the white evangelical church's participation in the oppression of of black people and of of women through purity culture right Mm -hmm. and just this onslaught of realization um that oppression has has been a significant part of a lot of their faith backgrounds and so i want to honor that that is a real thing. It's a real movement. Um, for me, I also want to honor that deconstruction. I, I have not experienced it as something that white Christians choose, right? Mm-hmm. Like no one just wakes up in the morning like, oh, I want to experience my faith as this shifting slab of sand <laughs> under my feet, please and thank you. Like no one wakes up like that, yeah. right? And so I want to honor that deconstruction often starts with pain, it often yeah. starts with wounding and and a sense of like, deception right Mm -hmm. like i i thought my faith was this thing and now i'm discovering it was that thing um and so i just want to honor that and also for this segment honor that i think deconstruction is and has been a very different thing for me Mm -hmm. um 
and is often a different thing for black Christians in general. So that's, yeah. that's kind of what we're going to be talking about today. Mm-hmm. Um, so my first question, Malcolm, mm-hmm. is when you think about deconstruction as if we kind of separate it from the, the ex-evangelical movement for a moment and give it a working definition of kind of a phase of questioning about your faith um, and perhaps kind of dismantling some themes or some familiar ideas about your faith that you used to have. Mm -hmm. Would you say that you have ever or are deconstructing? Mm. I would say yes. Like I remember, I remember growing up um, and we didn't have that. We didn't have the word deconstruction to kind Mm -hmm. of explain people that are in transitions in their faith or you, it was, uh, the real churchy version of it was a crisis that they're having a crisis, crisis of, of faith, faith. yeah, um, which sounds so, so like dire. just <laughs> oh my god, are they like like he's never coming like, back? Yeah, we're, we're not going to see them at church like ever, like not even on Christmas or Easter, <laughs> like that's it. <laughs> um, and it sounds so dire. Um, but then there's like the kind of more passive, like oh he's going through something, he's going through something, going yeah. through something, you know. Um, so I, I think I've definitely. And I think it came at at a, at a time in my adulthood when it was really, I don't want to say up to me, but it was, mm-hmm. I was, I was discovering my faith for myself mm-hmm. instead of what was handed to me or what somebody else had modeled for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I could, de- yeah, I definitely went through a deconstruction. I don't think it was as, I don't want to say dramatic, but it wasn't like a, it wasn't like a, I'm leaving type of thing. It was mm. definitely a, I'm here, but I, I like I'm still. There's some things I'm just trying to figure out. I think the big yeah. thing for me was like, wh- what do I believe, and why do I believe it? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know. And honestly, like if if I think about um, if I think back to a lot of my black friends who have said something like that to me, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that has been the trend, right? Mm-hmm. It's just it's been this questioning of. What do I believe and why do I believe it? Because mm-hmm. for a lot of us, for most of us, our faith was so deeply tied to the traditions mm. that our, you know, mothers and grandparents yeah. handed down to us um, because the, the black church is is so beautifully fueled by tradition. Yeah. Right. And so a lot of times when we grew up, we didn't have answers. We didn't have explanations, but we had rituals. We had things that you just did. Um, and so by the time we got into our 20s, it was like, oh, why do I wear pantyhose every Sunday? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, what is that about? Yeah. Um, but I think one of the things I want to be sensitive to is, um, you know, for for evangelicals, there is a trend of deconstructing because of racial justice. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I've asked myself the question about whether I've deconstructed I think I've known for a long time that it's never it's never really been about um, a racial justice issue because growing up, I was kind of always aware, you know, that America was very much complicit in the racial justice issue. Um, And so that's that's been kind of interesting to watch um, is just how how important the racial justice issue is to a Mm -hmm. lot of folks deconstructing. Yeah. but then for a lot of black Christians who maybe have deconstructed that it really hasn't felt tied to that. Yeah. I think there's, you know, the debate within the ev- the white evangelical church of, of, um, of what's the word I'm looking for? 
it's a debate of social issues and the Bible mm-hmm. where there is no debate in the black church. Right. Like God our, is the God of the oppressed. Our theology, our liberation theology mm-hmm. does not separate the two. They right. are inter- intertwined in a way that it doesn't need a whole lot of explanation. So like to be in predominantly white spaces where that's a debate and then you go to a black church and that they're not having the same conversation as you. <laughs> yeah. It's just, it's just a given. Um, and that's what's so interesting about faith itself is because it's it's so, um, gosh, it's it's so kind of a more. I, I really think of it as an ocean that we swim in. Mm. Like you don't even realize what the water tastes like mm. until you end up in different waters. Yeah, and so it it really wasn't until um, you know evangelicals were gracious enough to to let me hear what their deconstruction sounds like Mm -hmm. that I was like oh that that's an issue for some people like I I didn't it just didn't register me and I think I think that is what makes I think maybe on the on the white evangelical side they may not agree but it's understandable why people are going through these crises of faith Mm -hmm. but in the black church it's much harder I think for elders in particular to really accept and understand that because we have we have covered ourselves and ingrained ourselves with with our faith to such a degree because mm. we needed that to protect us. We needed faith to protect us from the realities yep. of what was happening around us. Mm-hmm. So we have completely tried to insulate ourselves from the racism, from the prejudice, from all of these things, from mm. disenfranchisement, from lack of economic opportunity. We used all of the scriptures um, in the Bible of, of yeah. uh, between Jesus, Moses, and the children of Israel to let us know that it will eventually be okay, even though it's not okay right now. Yeah, yeah. Um, so deconstruction hits differently when uh, a person in their you know, 40s, 50s, 60s, hears their child say, well, I don't know if I believe that. And they're like, what do you mean you don't believe that? Right. This is who we are. Like, right. this is what we do. This I, is how we got over. Yeah, like, white pantyhose? Yeah. It may be ridiculous to you, but I got here. I'm here because of that. Yeah, yeah. And so white black deconstruction hits completely differently yeah. than it does when somebody else might say it. That's a really good point. And and I think I think what what I hear you saying in between those in between the lines is you know, for for the black church, faith is not just a bunch of ideas. Mm. Like faith has literally been the bridge from oppression to hope. Mm-hmm. It's, it's what we've walked over to get to this present moment. And yeah. so when you when I think what I've softened toward is um, the feeling of fear and the feeling of betrayal that I think, you know, older black Christians see when they see us deconstructing or, or trying to figure out what we believe and why. And I think it's because like it really does feel like a gut punch, like mm-hmm. You you deconstructed on on Jesus like yeah. we don't we don't do that like <laughs> that's, it it just is what it is yep. and it's how we got here put on the pantyhose and we going to church mm-hmm. um and so I you know I try to be compassionate toward how how that probably feels to see to see us you know kind of just questioning yeah yeah I think an important distinction to make too is a deconstruction doesn't always mean a turning away from. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I think those those things have become synonymous, and that's kind of the buzzword you'll hear a lot. Yeah, like, oh, that's good. they're deconstructing, they're mm-hmm. turning away from God. But it's not necessarily that. We still love God. We still love church. But we have some questions. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
But it's for me, I've uh, that's what's been interesting too, because like the word deconstruction doesn't sound like a turning. Mm-hmm. You know, when 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 I started hearing the word, um, what I envisioned was you know a little toddler playfully taking apart a Lego set that they just put together mm-hmm. and rebuilding it. Right, yeah. like it's it's this. I think it really can be this this beautiful um, taking apart to rebuild. Yeah, and if we start to see it that way. Um, then it can really be an invitation to do it together, right? Yeah. I've always, I've always wondered, like, what would it have looked like if, if you know, the black church in the two thousands, right, when a lot of a lot of folks in our age group were trying to figure stuff out, if they had just had some some sessions mm-hmm. where we could just <laughs> ask some questions, right, and just yeah. get some answers, but you know, we had to we had to go through it a different way. We absolutely did. <laughs> Yeah. So I think what I want to end with is just like if if we could imagine, you know, a black Christian sitting in front of us who who is in a phase of deconstructing of just trying to figure out why they believe what they believe. Mm-hmm. Um, what, what would you what would you say to them as an encouragement or as something that can ground them in the process? Mm. What would I say to them? First of all, I would start off with this is this is normal. This is okay. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like it's not you're not broken. You're not out, even outside of, of God's will. Mm-hmm. Like God wants you to ask these questions. God wants you to to come to Him um, and come to your community to help guide you through this. I would mm-hmm. also say that it's deconstruction is so much easier in community. Yeah, yeah, deconstruction can get scary and lonely when you're by yourself. And so, even if that community is just one person or two people, um. Find people that you can trust, that you can ask those tough questions, that you can have those tough conversations with, um, because deconstruction and isolation can just can lead to more pain. Yeah, yeah, that's good. I think I would also tell them, you know, deconstruction is is um, it's warranted, mm-hmm. right? Like it's like faith. Faith is such an intimate and complicated thing. Um, it only makes sense that you would have deep questions to mm-hmm. ask about it, right? So I, I would want, you know, folks to know that it's, it, it makes complete sense that you're trying to just f- kind of, de- you know, dismantle things and rebuild it. Mm-hmm. Um, but then lastly, I think I would, I would want, um, I would want to tell deconstructing black Christians that, like, there can really be a creativity. Mm-hmm. Um and just beauty and rebuilding a faith of your own. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause I know for me, as I've reconstructed and I've wrestled with quite my biggest deconstruction question has always been around suffering and God's sovereignty. Mm-hmm. Like how, how do I reconcile God's goodness with the, the suffering that I see in the world? Right. Mm-hmm. And I haven't totally answered that question for myself. Right. Mm-hmm. But there's been, there's been milestones of sub answers that I've gotten and, and, and beauty that I've kind of developed in my own faith along the way mm-hmm. um, that feel really precious to me. Yeah. And so I would I would want, you know, a, a black Christian going through something similar to know that you can create something beautiful out of, you know, out of the rubble, so to speak. Yeah. I, yeah. I think I think that's a good way, a good way to end our conversation today. I think so. 
So, Michael, what did we learn today? <laughs> what did, well, I don't, I don't know what folks learn, but I know what we talked about. <laughs> what, did we talk, what did we talk about? <laughs> so we we talked about the very easy and flat, um, simple conversation <laughs> um, about you know how the relationship that that black folks have with our black public figures, and so we wrestle with you know why is that relationship so complicated. Um, and just kind of thought about what are some ways we can move forward to perhaps make it slightly less complicated. And then we ended with exploring um, kind of the nuances of black deconstruction, what what kind of informs it, um, what uh, what creates kind of the the reaction that our older uh, black folks have to um, black deconstruction. And, you know, what would we tell somebody who's going through it now? Um so, of course, this is only the beginning of these conversations. We invite you, dear listener, to continue it. Um, you can do that by using the hashtag TalkAboutItPod, P-O-D, um, on Twitter. And you can also continue that conversation by directly um, tweeting at us. So you can find me on Twitter at Morgan. And where can they find you, Malcolm? You can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Malcolm D-O-T Media. M-A-L-C-O-L-M-D-O-T Media. We'll be on Twitter for as long as <laughs> we deem it as a safe space to be. So stay tuned. For as long as it lasts. We may take some of these conversations onto a different platform soon. <laughs> <laughs> so as I did mention at the beginning, this is the season finale, season three finale. Uh, we made it through. It was important for us as when we came back to do season three, we wanted to have a definite start and a definite end to, to our seasons and not just kind of drift off into <laughs> into whatever so we're really excited that we made it through a we whole season it. we're gonna take a little break but we'll be back early 2023 um we'll let you guys know for sure but we're looking at probably around february to come back to do season four that sounds about right um so we thank you guys for joining us again thank you for sharing thank you for listening thank you for those that have told us about how you've interacted with these episodes it really means a lot to us we love having these conversations and we're glad that you guys um, are getting something out of it as well so at least for now merry christmas happy Happy thanksgiving happy (laughs) new year (laughs) happy martin luther king day (laughs) and we hopefully we'll see y'all in back history month yes indeed this has been malcolm morgan and micah morgan and we'll see y'all next time